Okay, I'm glad you're here. I want to just uh, talk about a bunch of different things today, a little bit about um, the counting of the Omer, that period between uh, Pesach, Passover, and Shavuos, when we, when we get the Torah, and um, also uh, about this uh, Parsha that we just read, uh, Parsha to Amor, some, some cool things in that, and, and also my, my mind keeps on going back to uh, Breshis, uh, the first word of the Torah. Um, I guess we, it's the classic translation is in the beginning, but um, I heard from Reb Shlomo in the name of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai that, the, that a better translation is with beginnings, God created the world. And if you think about that, that's um, it's a very deep and beautiful uh, idea and description of reality, that, that the world is made out of beginnings, that the, that the fabric of reality is, is beginnings. So, so the world itself is literally made out of beginnings, meaning to say that every moment is a beginning. Every single moment is a new beginning. That's, um, it's an amazing way to go through life because so many times we think that we're stuck and we, we, we feel like, well, this is it. And, and if we understand that every single moment is a new beginning because the world itself is made out of beginnings. In other words, what I'm trying to say is, is that it's more than just a positive attitude. It's not just a, an attitude like, oh, beginning end. Like, okay, I'm going to psych myself up to try one more time. That, that also is an element of it. But that's, I'm, I'm saying something a, a little deeper right now, which is that the world itself is made out of it. It's like, like it, imagine if you have a, a wooden house but the wooden house is made out of open doors. Right? That's the idea, that the world itself is made out of beginnings. Let me just give you another way of um, visualizing this. Um, I always think about, uh, in, in math, I think in high school or junior high school, whenever it was, I learned that a, uh, a line, and this is geometry right now, that a line is actually not a solid object. But a line is made out of an infinite number of dots. Discrete dots, each not connected to the other. But because they're so tightly compressed, it gives you the illusion of a solid object. So, in terms of picturing our lives, in terms of picturing um, the nature of time, each moment is a separate dot not connected to the previous moment, and not connected to the next moment. Which means that at any moment you can shift directions. You see, a lot of times, like for instance, let's say I'm dieting. And let's say I'm about to break my diet, I'm walking toward the refrigerator. So if you view reality at that point as a solid line, I am now part of that uh, irrevoc- irrevocable <laughs> if that's the right pronunciation, that, that's sort of like, that I'm, I am now stuck in that, I'm locked into that path, because I'm on that line to the refrigerator right now. I'm stuck in that path there. But if you understand that, wait a second, no, that line is not a solid object. It's dot after dot after dot, and I can turn it at any moment. Then it's okay, so one moment ago I'm walking toward the refrigerator, so, so what? So now I'm turning around. I'm not stuck. And so, this idea of with beginnings God created the world. 
God is informing us about something very amazing that he implanted reality with. Now, there's so many descriptions about reality in this word breishis, which makes sense because if our tradition is that God looked into the Torah and then he created the world, and that the Torah itself is the blueprint for reality. If that's the case, and we know that we have so many microcosms, you know, worlds within worlds, so, so you can see so much within this very first word. The whole history of the world you can see within the very first word of the Torah. And so, I want to talk about that. By the way, there's a classic Jewish text called the Tikkune Zohar. And there are 70 different explanations of the word Breshis in it. It's like a massive volume, like one of the keys to understanding um, the depths of Torah, Judaism, and monotheism is the Tikkune Zohar. Not that I've ever studied it, by the way, but just that you should know that that the idea of taking the first word of the Torah and its infinite depths is something that's been uh, part of Torah study for thousands of years. Um, so, i just like to, uh, just on my own, if I, just point out a couple of things that I, I've seen in the Word um, that, I, that I just noticed and just share it with you. Um, I mentioned that you see the, the history of the world Right? In, in the word breishis. So, how do you see that exactly? So, you know, you can, just using the letters in breishis, first of all, one of the words that you see in there is Shabbos, which is, I think, really striking. The, the Balaturim, by the way, um, who lived about a thousand years ago, one of the masters of Torah, um, he begins his commentary on, on, on the Torah with, many different understandings of the word breishis, how you can rearrange the letters and see amazing things. Uh, and he points out that, 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 the, that breishis contains the, the two words, if you rearrange them, Yira Shabbos, revere the Sabbath. And then it says here, to inform you that the world was created in the merit of the Sabbath, the merit of Shabbos. So that's like right in there. Um, so, I'd like to say something a little bit different, but a, 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 along those lines, um, which is, you see the word Shabbos there, and then if you take um, the remaining letters, Yudin Reish, the gematria of Yudin Reish is 210. 210 is a very, and then it leaves the letter Aleph. So let's arrange um, the, the word breishis in the following way. Uh, Yud and Reish, that's 210, then the word Shabbos, then the letter Aleph. And I'd like to suggest to you that that's the timeline for the entire destiny of the world. How so? Because 210, everybody knows, is the number of years that the Jews were slaves in Egypt. And the Egyptian exile is considered the model for all exiles. So, in other words, the world begins in this state of incompletion. That's our job, is to complete the world. We're partners with God in terms of finishing up the world. And as I always like to point out, it's, it's very, you can't understand this world or your life unless you understand this point, which is that the world is not finished yet. You know, a lot of times, like, we have this experience where we're invited to what we feel is a bad party. And we're like, 
just my luck. This party is terrible and I'm stuck here, right? But that's not the case with this world. It's not that you just happen to arrive at a bad party. No, the party, the whole point of you being here is because the party needs to be made better. That's the whole point. It's not, a, it's not this ugly coincidence, like, just my luck. No, you're here to make it good. That's the point. The world is broken, but it's here for us to fix it. That's the whole point. Or I would say to complete it. That, because it, we, the world has not reached its full level of expression that God set about to make it. We're still in the construction process right now. That's the glory of human beings. That's, that's the amazing thing, that the, the privilege of being born right now. You know, a lot of people would say, well, you know, it'd be so great if the world was perfect. But once the world is perfect, our utility isn't nearly as valuable. I mean, we're really, to the extent that you could say such a thing, needed right now. That's an amazing thing. So, so the world starts off with this idea of Yud and Resh, the 210, the model of all exiles, the number of years that we were slaves in Egypt. Then it goes to the word Shabbos, which means it's going to go from exile to redemption, because the Messianic period is called the day that will be all Shabbos, right? That's the, that's the period in our history that's all Shabbos. Now, the Ramban brings it, but when, when, when it goes through the seven days of creation and it ends with Shabbos, they say that that is a microcosm itself of, of the history of the world. That each one of these days counts as a thousand year period. And then it's all leading up to Shabbos, which is going to be, you know, the ultimate goal of all of creation. So you go from 210, Yud and Resh, within the word Breshis, to the word Shabbos. The world's going to go from this state of exile incompletion to its fixing Shabbos and then the letter Aleph because the ultimate ultimate now this is getting way 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 in the future the ultimate ultimate destiny of the world Aleph is the number one it's for everything to be reabsorbed and to disappear back into the oneness of God so you have 210 Shabbos Aleph exile redemption and then just the realization of oneness. So that's all contained within the word Breshis. That's using all the letters of Breshis without repeating any letters. So here you see the destiny, the whole history of the world is being hinted at in the very first word of the Torah. Another thing is, is there's another combination of words that I'd like to point out, which is um, Shabbos, and then you can take the letters, the remaining three letters, which is um, Resh and uh, Aleph and Yud, which, which spells C, right? Which means, so, so Breshis can also be read as C Shabbos, right? Now, what, what, what does that mean? What does that mean? So I want to say like this. I, I was talking with a, a good friend and he said something very beautiful. He said that he, he talks with... Um, you know, a lot of physicists and people like this, scientists like big minds, and they've got a, an amazing grasp of the nature of the universe and, you know, amazing science that they marshal in order to, you know, discover all sorts of things. And then he asks them, well, and, you know, what do you, and therefore, right? 
and 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 they go back to well, it's it, what do you mean they're there for? That's just what it is. And he used like a very striking bit of terminology to describe what he felt this what, what this interaction meant to him. He said, you know, there's certain um, neurological conditions uh, among people where uh, where people certain people, unfortunately, it's a, it's a you know this is a uh, kind of like a problematic wiring of the brain, you know, where people can't recognize other people's facial expressions. Meaning to say, if there's an angry look, they have no clue that they're, they're being sent a signal. Or if there's a happy look, they, they equally are clueless. They have no way of understanding that they can't see through the face to the, to the soul of the person, if you will. Like, what the essence of that person is expressing through, through their facial expressions. Oftentimes this is like Asperger's syndrome or, or autism. Or they're, they're certain things. But, but, but my friend was, was wanting to compare this to, to sort of like a, a, a state that many people are in today. And he, he said that, that many people sort of suffer from a, like a, a type of spiritual autism where they look at the world, the magnificence of the world, and they see nature, and they see the beauty of nature, and they see the, the infinity of the cosmos, and all sorts of things, but they don't see the soul behind it that's animating it. In other words, just like a person isn't able to recognize facial expressions and see into the person, and see, see it as a conduit where the person is expressing themselves, people look at the world, and they just, it just ends there. They don't see the force, the soul of the world... That's animating all of creation. So, so the very first word of the Torah is breishis, which means with beginnings or just creation itself. And God is saying, see Shabbos. See Shabbos. Look at it and understand that there's a soul within it. Because Shabbos is the soul of the world. What happened? God created the world and then the last thing he did was he put Shabbos into it. He put the soul into the world itself. You know, if you imagine a cube, a cube has six sides, or on a deeper level, it has seven sides. Remember, Shabbos is the seventh day. So what are the six sides of a cube? Well, in front, behind, that's two. Left and right, that's four. Top and bottom, that's six. But then there's the inside of the cube, right? That's the seventh side of the cube, if you will. So that's Shabbos. There's the six days of the week. And then there's the seventh day of the week, which is the inside, which animates the entire thing and gives life to the entire thing. So God is saying, don't just stop at creation. Don't be like one of these people that's like, sort of like just sees the exterior and isn't able to see it as the expression of an animated force within. Animating force within. But see Shabbos, see the soul of creation itself, which is God. So, so let's look at the word one more time. Because, because we've got another way of, of looking at it, which is kind of applying what we said before. The Yud and the Resh is 210, that stands for exile, which can be the six days of the week, right? Because on Shabbos, you know, you're like free, 
You're like free from all the exile of the week. It's like, it's like a mini redemption, right? It's like you're tapping into, it's called, a, the Sabbath is called just like a little taste of the Garden of Eden, right? So you're, you're outside of exile. So you've got Yudin Resh, which is the 200 years of exile, 210 years of exile, meaning the six days of the week. Then you've got Shabbos. And, um, and it can surround, it can surround Shabbos. And then how do you get through? How do you break through with the Aleph? In other words, you hold on to God. Hold on to the one, the only one, and then you can make it through all the hard times, right? And get to the completion. You can make it through. So, so anyway, I just, uh, we'll switch, switch topics a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Shabbos has a basin. So, so Shabbos is uh, Shin Beis Tuf. Yeah, yeah. So, so we're using all the letters in, in all those teachings. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, so let's keep on going. We just read Parshas Emor, and it's uh, <clears throat> there's something really. There are many amazing things, and I just want to focus on on, on one, one one thing in particular. Which is it goes through all the holidays of the year, and that um, that actually starts in in chapter twenty three of uh, of uh, Vayikra uh, Leviticus, and um, you can see it with your own eyes if you like. It's on it's on uh, the Art Scroll Chumash. It's actually on page six hundred and eighty three, and uh, you'll see it starts with. Um, it starts with Shabbos, <clears throat> which is a holiday that we have every single week. And then it goes to Pesach, and then it goes to that period between Pesach and, and um, Shavuos, the, the Omer period. Then we have Shavuos, the giving of the Torah. Then it goes on to Rosh Hashanah, and then it goes on to Rosh Hashanah, and then Yom Kippur, and then Sukkot, and then Shemini Yatzeris. Okay, and then, and then it ends there. That's all the holidays. At the time of the Torah, that was all the holidays. Now, on our calendar, what's the next, in contemporary days, what's the next holiday after the high holiday period? The next holiday is Hanukkah. Right? That's the next one that we have. But Hanukkah obviously can't be conclu- included in the Torah because it, was, um, it wasn't for another, I don't know what it was, a thousand years or, or more, like, later. So it wouldn't be written about in the Torah. And yet we have, we know that everything is included in the Torah. So amazingly, if you look, right after the last holiday is, is described, what is talked about? The laws regarding the menorah. In other words, Hanukkah, on page 600, the beginning of chapter 24, 691. You'll see, the menorah is the very next thing that's discussed after Shemini Yatzeris. So that's, that's uh, and of course, Hanukkah, that is the, the symbol of Hanukkah, is the menorah itself. So, so here's just one very easy way to see how the Torah is operating on so many different levels, right? Um, anyway, kind of makes your eyes pop out when you, when, when you see it. Um, there, there's another thing that I want to focus in on, which is, 
which is amidst all the lists of the holidays, there's one halacha, one, one law that's thrown in that doesn't have to do anything with the holidays. And, and it's thrown in at an interesting spot also. Um, between the discussion of Shavuos and Rosh Hashanah. And so, so there's sort of two things to contemplate here. One, why is any law being thrown in that doesn't have to do with the holidays? Two, what is that law? And three, what is it doing being put right there? So very interestingly, it's this law of um, Peah, so what's peya? And it's the same word as payas, by the way. The, when men grow out uh, the, their, their side locks, right? And by the way, halachically speaking, anything below the cheekbone is, is considered payas, according to Jewish law. So as long as you don't shave your sideburns above your cheekbone, you have payas according to the Torah, and you have the, the merit for that. But some people like to grow it out. And we'll, we'll, we'll discuss that in a moment. The, the classic Torah that I heard from Reb Shlomo was that, you know, that payas is the connection between the mind and the heart. And you don't want to sever that connection between the mind and the heart by, by cutting it short. So that's the kind of the philosophy of it. But, but what is it? What is paya actually? So paya just like that sort of speaks sort of like the corner of your beard or one of the corners of your beard. Um, Peah is actually the corner of the field. And, and we have, a, we have a, a mitzvah not to harvest all of your fruit in the corner of your field so that it's left over for the poor. And that also, when you gather your um, stalks of wheat, if in the process of gathering it, which is kind of like a, you know, this is, I guess, before combines and things like that, you know, you kind of gather it up. If stuff falls down on the ground, it's called leket, right? You're supposed to, unless it's a big clump, you're supposed to leave it for the poor so that the poor can go through the fields and sort of gather all these sort of stray stalks of wheat. And then that's, a, that's like a beautiful thing. Interestingly, we have a concept of what's called a shear. A shear means a measurement, okay? So in mitzvahs, we have like measurements. So for instance, you know, we say a blessing before we eat, say, food. Say, let's say we have a, make a blessing before we eat a cookie. Right? You're thanking God for, for the cookie and, and, and everything like this. Now, if you eat a certain amount, then there's an after blessing that you make. Okay? But you have to eat a certain amount. So that certain amount would be called a shear. That measurement, so in this case it's an ounce of flour. If you've consumed during the cookie-eating process an ounce of flour, then you would say the after-blessing. Okay, and you've got all sorts of, um, what's the shear for this, what's the shear for that? We have a liquid measurement, which is three ounces, where if you do that, you would say an after-blessing. There are all sorts of shears. And Pesach night at the Seder, there's a, there's a minimum amount of matzah that you have to eat. You have to eat a shear of matzah. And so all, all sorts of measurements. Now, there's certain mitzvahs, not that many, where there's no shear. Meaning there's no limit to how much you can do. The corner of the field is one of those things. Like, in other words, you can leave one apple on the corner, 
Or you can leave half your field if you like. Whatever you like. That's, that's what you can leave. So, so that's, that's, that's kind of an interesting thing. Now, now the rabbis want to explain what that, what that mitzvah is doing there. And they say something really interesting. Rashi brings it in the name of this free, which is, which is a really cool idea. And I, I, I'm just going to begin the thought. You can think about it and try to come up with your own answer. What, what, what that mitzvah is doing there, you know? So he says that someone, because it's put amidst all the holidays, that someone who keeps that mitzvah, it's like they brought an offering to the holy temple and built the temple. Now that's that's not a small thing. It's not it, to to be able to say you get the merit of having built the temple. You know, all, you know we've got we, we, we fast three times a year about not not having a temple. It said that it said that every generation where the base of Migdash, the holy temple, is not rebuilt, it's as though it was destroyed in that generation. So there's a lot of concentration on the destruction of the Holy Temple. But you don't see every day when someone's talking about, oh, you get the merit of having built it. So that's a big deal. It's not a small thing. So, so I had, uh, by the way, I'll just throw in one more thing. We have something called Tikkun Hatzot. That, that means that um, after Hatzot, which is loosely translated as midnight, with daylight savings time, it can be 1 a.m., but there's a certain, sort of in terms of the cosmic spiritual energy of a day, there's a certain shift that happens after Chatzot. And we know that David HaMelech, for instance, like, he would put his harp above his bed, and a wind would blow in, and it would, like, strum his harp. And that was like, you know, like an early alarm clock. That's like... <laughs> and it would, like, notify him when Chatzot was. And he'd get up, and he'd daven to Hashem. In fact, there's a beautiful medrash that said that he would get up. I heard this from Reb Shlomo. And that he would pray to God, please God, let me hear the prayers of all of Israel. Right? He was the king. He's praying, please God, I want to hear the prayers of all of Israel. And Hashem would take him up and allow him to hear all the prayers of Israel. And David and Melech, King David, would write them down and that became the book of Psalms. So that's kind of, that's an amazing thing. In other words, the book of Psalms, as much as it's King David writing them, it's actually him hearing them on a deep level, what the prayers, what all of our prayers were. Um, So, to this day, there's actually a practice, it's a holy practice, for people to get up after Chatzot, and to sit on the floor of their room, and to daven that the, that the temple should be rebuilt. So you're actually mourning the temple a little bit. You're sitting on the ground. And that's like, you know, it's not an easy thing to do. So what, but there are kind of ways to kind of like grab a little part of it. And I'll just give you two ideas, okay? One is, a lot of us are night owls. So if you find yourself just going to bed after chatzot, which isn't so uncommon after 12 or 1 or whatever it is, just before you get into bed, sit on the floor. <laughs> just say, please God, rebuild the base of Mikdash. 
And if you want to say more than that, you can say more than that. There's actually a little whole service you can say, but just to get to that point, you got, you got a piece of it. You know what I mean? Which is a great thing. I'll tell you another thing. Um, as, as you get a little bit older and, you know, you take a little visit to the bathroom in the middle of the night. <laughs> Many people do that. Before you get back into bed, just park yourself on the ground for two seconds, pray, and get into bed, you know. So, so it's, a, it's a super holy thing. And you can get a little, a little piece of it that way. You know, it's not as hard as it sounds, you know. Um, anyway, so, so, but again, this is all on the level of, of wanting the temple to be rebuilt. So, so the idea that you can do something and, and, and on some level be credited with the building of the, of the holy temple is pretty huge. But, but I want to, here, let me just read, read you uh, what it says here. Uh, Rav Avdimi ben Rav Yossi says, Why does scripture place the precept in the middle of the chapter of the festivals? The Peah, what we've been discussing. To teach that if someone leaves his gifts for the poor as he is commanded, it is regarded as if he had built the temple and brought his offerings in it. And it says, Rashi the Sifra. So I had a question on that, which is, I can understand, it's like, now imagine you're leaving your fruit, there it is. I could see how that fruit has the status of like an offering. That, that seems pretty direct, pretty clear, especially since, if you remember the placement of that, is right after the holiday of Shavuos. What, what did we do in Shavuos when we had a holy temple? We would take our first fruit offerings, and by the way, that was another thing that had no minimum shear, no measurement. You could take your first fruit or you could take, you know, wagons loads of fruits, right, to Jerusalem to bring it to the temple. So the idea, and, and that's the holiday that we've just discussed. That's, that's the placement of this mitzvah. So I get it. You leave the corner of your field and it's as though those fruits were brought as an offering. Okay. But building the holy temple? Like, how do you get that you built the holy temple? That part I, is not as easy to understand. So I was discussing this in Shulm with some people. My friend Ronnie Sarah said something very beautiful, I thought. He said, look, you know, we were discussing it. Imagine a person is walking down this road. A poor person is walking down this road. And he's hungry. And he gets to this corner of this field. And there's just fruit. Just fruit that's available. Now, on an intellectual level, he might feel like, wow, the owner of the field left it for me. I'm very grateful to the, corner of the, uh, to the owner of the field, right? Maybe intellectually he might think that. But I think, emotionally speaking, maybe this might be even more of a, a realer description of, of what that person might experience. They're walking down the road, they're hungry, and it's like, ah, God, thank you so much. You know, the owner of the field isn't there. It's the corner of his field. It's just the person and the fruit. And it's sort of like they have this like divine experience, you know? See, the, the greatness, what made the holy temple the holy temple was the Shekhinah was dwelling there. So the Shekhinah is kind of a mystical term, but it means like God's presence was palpably evident there. You know, you really felt God there. And that was really what distinguished the holy temple. Was, was that experience. 
And so a person who hits the corner of the field and is able to take one of these things, they're really experiencing God at that moment in a real, like very visceral sense. And so that is a holy temple experience, you know? So you've sort of turned the world into a holy temple, if you will. Right? Which is the ultimate goal. That's the ultimate goal of creation. It's what we want to do. Just turn the entire world into a revealed dwelling place for godliness. God's dwelling in the world, every, saturating every atom in the universe. But the, the revelation of that presence is what we're, what we're striving for. So, so maybe we'll just wrap it up here and, uh, and just, uh, I'll tell you just one thing. I don't know if I ever shared it with you. Maybe I did. You know, living in a city, I've lived in cities my whole life. It's, how do I, how do I keep the mitzvah of when I drop, uh, stalks of wheat (laughs) that, that I should leave it on the ground? How do I have any connection to that mitzvah whatsoever? So, one time it hit me, you know, when I drop change on the ground, right? Drop a dime or a quarter or a penny, whatever it is. If you drop too much on the ground, too much weed on the ground, you're supposed to pick it up. You're not supposed to leave it on the ground. If you drop a $5 bill or something like that, right? But I, if you drop some coins on the ground, maybe you just, you leave it there, right? Like that, that might be a way to to do that, right? But, or if you find change on the ground, you know, that's kind of like finding leket, these stalks. So, if I ever see change on the ground, I pick it up, I say, the shame mitzvah's leket, like in the name of this mitzvah, and I take it and I put it in a charity box. I give it to charity. You know? And if I drop it myself, then I just pick it up and I put it in the charity box. Now, listen to this. I was sharing this with my friend And he said the following thing. He said that if he ever drops coins, that he arrived at the same thought. He just leaves those coins on the ground. And so I wonder if I ever picked up one of his coins. (laughs) Wouldn't that be amazing that two people who never met, never discussed this. One person said, oh, I dropped a coin. That's like, you know, that's like the mitzvah of dropping weed. I'll just leave it there. And then someone else picked it up and said, wow, this is like the mitzvah of picking it up. I'm going to take this and put it into charity. So, you know, the number of different levels the world is operating on, we're still discovering it. We're still discovering it, you know. And uh, Shem should bless us that we should be able to look into creation, look into breishis, understand that every moment's a beginning. That the world is literally made out of beginnings. And that we should see the Shabbos, see the beauty, see the completion, see all the good things. The soul inside of creation that's animating it. The face of Hashem. You know, God obviously doesn't have a body, but, you know, we can experience Him in just every aspect of our day. And that's the beauty of the Torah and the mitzvahs, is that, you know, a lot of times... People kind of like they're, you know, they bristle at the idea that there shouldn't be a mitzvah telling me how to put on my shoes and socks. That's, you're, God, you're really stepping on my, 
you know, on my Dalit Amos here, on my, you're really encroaching on my territory. But that's the glory of everything, is that everything's God's territory. And that even the most mundane thing in the entire world can actually be elevated. That's actually the beauty of all these things. When you see it from that point of view, that essentially we're guests in this world. You know? And that we get to turn everything, even the most seemingly mundane thing in the entire world, into a meaningful act. That's awesome. Okay, have a great week. Yeah. And like these guys will come down my street and like it's kinda of serious, you're like, What are you doing in my driveway? But and they just like go through uh the trash to find recyclables. Like recycling you know, for bottles so they can get you know, bring it in and get money for oh, it. Oh yeah, yeah. So like these like sometimes like a little Asian lady and sometimes it's like but they just come and like they have like bags and bags of, of like recyclable bottles, so it's sort of like I mean, it's not like someone's trash. I guess it is someone's. I mean, it's not like, you know... Really so you're saying it's like pay Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I just thought of that. That's really interesting. Yeah. yeah, because, you know, they're walking around, they get it, and it's money in their pocket. Yeah, yeah. But we're not necessarily dropping it on the ground, I guess. I mean, we're putting it in like a... I mean, no one's running a block to the street being like, oh, I don't want this bottle anymore, and throwing it on the ground. They usually put it in a trash can, but... Right, right. Well, no, but I, I, I don't think it would be proper to... to